road today. We're really on the road. I'm down at Central Library in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I have a special guest for you today. I have Emily Wilson. You're going to love her. She has so much knowledge, so much history of writing and books, and she is a great writer. And also, you've heard Edwin Wilson on the show, so I thought it'd be nice to get Emily Wilson on the show, and she'll tell you about herself. Emily, as we like to ask, where are you from? Well, thank you, Henry, for inviting me. I just love coming down to the public library this morning. I started my career as a reader in the public library on the Chattahoochee River, Columbus, Georgia. And there, Miss Loretta Chapel, who always whispered so as not to make any disturbance, helped me pick out books. And to come back to the library is just like coming home. So thank you for having me. I come from a, a long line of famous writers and famous readers in Columbus, Georgia. Now, one of them was Carson McCullers. You may have heard of her, and she was a kind of nutcase, my mother said. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I'm a sort of nutcase myself, except in a refined way. And uh, here's the fame in my family. We live with my grandmother, my mother's mother, and she lived with her blind sister. Now, her blind sister, before there were audio books, had library books from the Library of Congress. And I sat by my Aunt Edna, and I listened to those books, uh, Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a famous reader. She read aloud Charles Dickens while my Aunt Edna listened. So I became a great reader, but also a great writer, because my grandmother wrote poems and sent them in to Lydia Pinkham Compound. Now, you don't know what that is, but that's no. what, that was for what ailed women. And uh, and you just took a little compound and some water, and it would make your day. And my grandmother would write uh, limericks for Lydia Pinkham compounds, and, and they would them and give her a dollar. And right then, you know, my eyes just lit up. My other grandmother lived in a mill village in Alabama. She was my daddy's mother, Nanny. And she probably had a fourth-grade education, but the Atlanta Constitution was Every newspaper in these towns was read in our house, and I started being a newspaper reader. And she, um, she, there was a column in the Constitution, that was when Ralph McGill edited, and it was called Little Stories. And mm -hmm. she write a little story, and she'd send it in, and it'd be published, and she got a dollar. And, they were, and, I, and her name was in print, Miss T.I. Harry, Lynette, Alabama. So... I was like, going to not be a famous writer. That's where it all started, Henry. I went reading those books. And so when you were very young, you started reading. How, how old were you when you started to read? I'm just curious. Well, I'd like to say I was one, but I was yeah. probably first grade. Well, it took me to the third. I couldn't read to write a lick. Can you till... read now? Oh, yes. I'm... Well, good. <laughs> yeah, but now you see, now that I'm past my 80th birthday, I forget, but I haven't yet forgotten how to read. I'm still writing. So all readers, uh, not all readers become writers, but they certainly enjoy life. Well, so you were down in Georgia, and you came up to UNC, no, you went, and you went to high school. Talk a little bit about that. And then well, I went to Columbus High School where I was editor of the Blue Streak. And I love to write high school plays, and I love to write occasional poems. But I wanted to get out of Georgia because... Uh, I just, 
I just didn't want to spend the rest of my life going to the University of Georgia football games, to tell you the truth. And I, I had a journalism scholarship at the University of Georgia, and I could see that that was not going to lead me anywhere except to the stadium. And I heard about Chapel Hill, great place for writers. And I met some of them later, and they were just for my heroes, still are. And I wrote to them and said, I'm going to do you the honor of coming to your, your school. Absolutely. And they said, well, you can't come to my school until uh, your junior year because we don't take women, but we've got a good women's college in Greensboro. So I went across the street and talked to my friend, and I said to Punt, let's go. Let's go to Greensboro. And I just loved it, and it turned out to be a writer's paradise. So you were at UNC Greensboro when, uh, talk a little bit about the uh, writers that were down there. Oh, it was just great. In the first place, every single class was a writing class. And in composition, it wasn't rhetoric and a theory. It was creative writing. So whatever class you landed up in, you were going to do something creative. And I had a lot of t good creative teachers, but my, my inspiration was Randall Jarrell. Mm-hmm. He had a beard, and he yeah. drove a Porsche, and he had a sexy wife, and uh, he just looked like what I thought a poet looked like. Otherwise, they'd sort of been Lanier in Georgia, you know, with a beard. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I studied with him, it's, and I can't say that I ever learned how to write, but I learned right. how to be, to be. I learned how I could put my life in books reading and writing them, and it was a life. I saw he did that. All right, talk a little bit about your writing. Emily Wilson on Poets and Writers today. We're just delighted to have you. Talk a little bit about, and I have your poetry books. I actually have two that I found in the used bookstore down here with Frank Fry. How much did you have to pay for Well, them? I'm telling you what, I think it, I got a deal on them. I think each of them were about $6 a piece. Well, you paid way too much. <laughs> All right, talk, talk. They're, they're extinct, but thank Frank Fry. We traveled with our children when they were little, and wherever there was a place, hole in the wall with a book for sale, we went and we bought it. But I started out writing poetry, and I wrote about myself, and I wrote about my children, I wrote about my family, I wrote about my upbringing, wrote about my daddy, mill people. And uh, then one day I was, in, uh, I was at uh, downtown Winston-Salem, and... They used to have something called a street scene. They have right. something like that mm -hmm. now. All these mm -hmm. festivals have just mushroomed. I go to everyone. In the street scene, I heard this gospel singer singing. And it was just mesmerizing. And over to the right was a man I knew very well, and he had been burned in a National Guard fire. He was a great, great student at Wake Forest. and uh, But nobody was standing next to him. He was disfigured and and nobody was approaching him. And she came down off the stage, and she went over with her microphone, and she stood next to him. And they, he had a beautiful voice, and they sang. And I went home, and I said to Ed, somebody ought to write about the good of community, the good that those black women do. And so I wrote a book called Hope and Dignity. It was sort of based on Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, mm -hmm. James Agee. Mm -hmm. But... I began to interview women all over the state, over 70 years old, and that's when I learned, like you, I learned to interview by talking. Well, they would tell me anything, because anybody who talks as much as I do, <laughs> and who doesn't know how to work a tape recorder, <laughs> you're not going to end up in a book. Right. So they tell me everything. They told me a lot of secrets. You know, Sturge Turkle said, 
people really do want to unburden themselves. Mm -hmm. And some of these secrets they took to their grave, and I'll take to mine. And in those days, the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts were helping um, below, uh, the, the beginner. Uh, they weren't into the higher ethos of uh, theory and criticism and PhD. And now you can't get a grant because all the university professors are getting the grant so they can get tenure. And I was out here in the PTA. <laughs> but I applied and they said, come up here, we want to have a look at you. And I went up there at the National Endowment for the Humanities and they funded it. And my father was an old Republican and he just had a fit that the, the government was paying me to write about women. And Your father? Yeah. Said, yeah, and he was Republican. He, was, he thought he that was a giveaway program, was, right? Yeah. He didn't think yeah. I should be on but welfare. He but if I was on welfare, he wanted to have some. That's where you it started, did, yeah. and I started interviewing people. And Henry, like you, like, who could have told that I'm 80, my husband's 99, I have grandchildren? Who, who could foresee that this day you and I finally meet? Absolutely. I mean, we have a similar uh, background. Right. You're a little more country than I am, <laughs> uh, I think, because I've been around a university. Well, and sure. you've been out for a while. Yes. I'm, when did you leave Appalachian? Well, it was 2009, I think. Oh, you know, so and, you're pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty. I love yeah. Appalachian. Yeah. And the students love it. But I think yeah, that. But I love what you say about academia. And as I told you earlier, my reason for starting this show was for the little people, you know. And now, folks out here on listening to Poets and Writers, WEHC today, we've got a big name on here, Emily Wilson. Now, go ahead. I've interrupted you, as you know, but... Uh, well, Henry, if I didn't want to hear what you had to say about me, I would have stopped <laughs> you at the beginning. Well, I have found Ed is, has been at Wake Forest forever. He's All right, gone. now, who is Ed? He's my husband, Mr. Wake Forest. I came to graduate school after I left Women's College, and I taught, and I love to teach. I just love to entertain students. But I didn't, I didn't have a Ph.D., and I wasn't going very far, and I looked around, and he was an eligible bachelor. And I said, that's my ticket. That is my ticket. I don't want a PhD. I just can't stand that academic, you know. And Rita, he married me. I mean, what can I so say? So how did you all meet? Were you a student? He was older than you and... and well, he was and he is. Though so now I feel yeah. like I'm older than he. Mm -hmm. And he had a desk uh, in a big office, that's where you had right. private offices, and I just arranged to be there when he came in and picked up. He taught one class. And uh, I said, I think I can make this work. And yes. I did. And he married me, and we went on our honeymoon. Only what I didn't know was he had been looking for the main chance. And the main chance wasn't marrying me, though he took delight in doing it. It was to go to England and go to Dove Cottage and go to the Wordsworth Lake District. Mm -hmm. That was his subject. So that's where we went on his honeymoon to Wordsworth. And we've had a great life. We live on the campus of Wake Forest. But more and more, as universities became elite and somewhat the same, more and more I gravitated away from the university into the street people, which is right. what you call mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. And the great thing that's happened here in Winston-Salem right. is Renolda House with Nick Bragg, and Maria Ingram and I started the 10th Muse, and we had the local people. And then we had uh, 
What was the name of that first bookstore? I'll think of it in a minute. You remember the old It was uh, on the camp there right there at Renault, right? Yeah. No, it was downtown. Rainbow. Rainbow. Right. Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, That got it started. Yes. And now, of course, we have bookmarks. And then I got on the Arts Council reading circuit, and I went all over the state. They call Poetry in the Schools. And I discovered that I love to turn people on to poetry. And I love the joy of it. And so after that, I wrote other books about women. I've written a book about a gardener. How about the E.B.? I call it the E.B. White book, but you well, go with that a little Elizabeth bit. Lawrence was a classical garden writer, lived in Raleigh, then moved to Charlotte. And uh, she had a correspondence with the wife of E.B. White, Catherine, who was famous in her own right for being a fiction editor at the New Yorker. And... Catherine White happened to mention in something she wrote for the New Yorker that she was going to retire to Maine and she was going to garden. And Elizabeth Lawrence, down in Charlotte, was reading the New Yorker and she wrote to her. And she said, well, let me tell you about people who know a lot about gardening. And she told her about the agricultural bulletins where you could advertise seeds. And that started a correspondence of about... 10 years, and I found those letters in archives, praise to the library, at Bryn Mawr, where Catherine White, the wife of E.B. White, went. And I went up and I met the family of E.B. White, they were now dead, and uh, put these letters together in a book that Beacon Press, wonderful small press, uh, uh, Unitarian Press, and we called it Two Gardeners. And that was fun, and the, you know, the great thing about reading and writing is that you meet people you're going to like. You know, you may like them better or not as well as what they write. And then I wrote about Eleanor Roosevelt. I had written about all these private women, like a gardener who stays at home, didn't marry, gardened. And I gave a public face to private women, as I did in Hope and Dignity, the story of black women. And then Peggy Smith and I wrote about the history of women in North Carolina, and I took women relatively unknown, and I gave up. So I thought, what if I could take the most public woman in America and give her a private life? Mm -hmm. So I chose Eleanor Roosevelt because I'm a yellow dog Democrat. Mm -hmm. And I went up to Hyde Park, and Eleanor Roosevelt, had built a little cottage for herself where she had her own book clubs and groups that she shared with two women. And I knew that I would never, ever learn the politics of the New Deal. But what I did know I knew is how it felt to be married to a famous man in my small circle. I was married to a famous man. And to gather people like me around me to make a community, and I would write about that. And my book is called the three graces of the Valkyrie. And the Valkyrie is the name of her private cabin, which became very public because people flocked to her. And from Eleanor Roosevelt, every time, you know how, did you ever smoke? Used to like a good Cuban cigar. Well, you know, you light yeah. one cigarette off the other. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did with books. Mm -hmm. uh, one book would lead me to the other. And all of this Wake Forest University has been a great, great, great resource for me. And when Ed Wilson asked Archie Ammons to come and teach, 
He was going back to the time that they both had returned from World War II, and he had taught Archie, and now Archie was a pretty well-known poet at Cornell. He came down and taught at Wake Forest, and uh, we just took to each other because beneath all of this talk and bravado, every uh, writer, I think that's a private person, and he and I uh, got nervous in the same way. He became one of my best friends. And uh, now I'm writing what else is there to write about except myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Emily Wilson, you had quite a life and you still have quite a life. Now I'm gonna mention some names. You're such a valuable resource in uh, writing history. So I'm gonna throw some names out to you and let you take off with them. and. And you mentioned A.R. Ammons and uh, how you met him or dealing with him. Maya Angelou. Well, Maya Angelou was hired by my husband, who was the provost, to teach at Wake Forest. She came to Wake Forest not very well known. These were in the early days. She was not famous. And she spoke uh, to the black society, and she was such a hit. And she brought with her uh, the woman who traveled with her named Dolly McFerrin. And they were just instantly a fit for Wake Forest. And Ed hired Maya as a professor of the humanities in the English department, hired Dolly McPherson, and we became lifelong friends. Now, there were two personas. Maya Angelou publicly could be rude and abrasive. She also could be breathtakingly inspiring. But you, you had to take one with the other. So we had a lot of dinner parties that were interrupted by some argument with Maya Angelou, but it was the, she, she gives herself away to everybody who wants to come. And she said she didn't care if there were two people in the audience, and I've remembered that because sometimes I've had two people in the audience. And she said if there were two people, they came to hear her. She was just a great, great inspiration. Now some people don't think she's such a great writer. She certainly is a great autobiographer. So that's Maya Angelou, and knew her well. Mm -hmm. And I, I met her on several occasions, and I was always impressed with her. And uh, I followed her one time on a program, and uh, let's say she, uh, the audience found her much more interesting than they did me. But I can't imagine yeah. that. Well, no, we, I bet she found you very interesting. Well, she could sing, and you know, she would come out with that voice, and she had that dramatic flair, but. We had a good time. It was the National Association of Volunteers, I think, and I think that's the first time I met her. And then downtown here in Winston-Salem at her 80th birthday party, I think it was. Emily Wilson, we have, oh, Penny Nivens. Penny Nivens, talk about. Oh, I love Penny, and she died suddenly way too soon, and she, she was just amazing. She and I were in graduate school together at Wake Forest, and she started she was a self-starter. She was up in the mountains at Platte Rock, and she discovered um, Carl Sandberg, mm -hmm. and she discovered his house had papers that had never been archived, and she took it upon herself to archive some of those papers and ended up being his biographer. And she just went through the Carl Sandberg circle. She was very funny. She was very beautiful. She is a very talented daughter who is very successful writing for young adults. She lived here, she taught at Salem, uh, 
and on the day she died suddenly was a sad day. Yeah, it's a, uh, and I've read her Carl Sandburg biography. It's just excellent, and you of course had a lot in common because. Uh, well, both she of your... she goes for the long haul. Mm -hmm. She writes a five hundred page book, and mm -hmm. I wanted to wrap it up in about one hundred and fifty pages because well, I don't have an attention span. All right, there's uh, my wife Peggy McCarthy asked me to ask you about Dudley Sherburn. Oh. Dudley Sherburn. Well, I just saw her daughter yesterday and her son today. Dudley Sherburn was a force of nature. She was a divorced woman with six children, and all of them interesting. And she was in St. Louis. She was hilarious. And she started a book club that is still going, the Dudley a Literary Society with Gail Fisher and lots of her friends. She taught at Salem College and and I met her, and I was on her committee, and I said to Dudley, now, you're going to have to interrupt me if uh, I talk too much. And she said, Emily Wilson, <laughs> don't you worry about my interrupting you. I think I can handle any, anything. And she's funny. She's from Alabama. And one winter, I said, Dudley, let's, let's write the history of your life. And she sat on my bed and made a cup of coffee in the kitchen. My son was in law school, he took his room. She started talking and I started typing. And after a while I'd say, that's enough about your ex-husband. <laughs> and it was always wonderful he was. She never said an unkind word mm -hmm. about anybody. But she talked about bathing the children in the bathtub and feeding them. And she was just hilarious and everybody in town uh, knew Dudley Sherburn. She was a spark. All right. Well, tell you here on the show today, we're getting some uh, really good background in information. And you folks have heard Rosemary Harris on this show. Emily Wilson, how did you get to know Rosemary Harris? Well, I got to know Rosemary through her husband, John Ely, who is great in several ways. For one thing, he worked for Ted, uh, he worked for Terry Sanford, and he envisioned how government could be uh, for the humanities, and he he helped invent the governor's schools, School of Science and Math, uh, the North Carolina uh, School of the Arts. Those were all the brain children of John Ely. At the same time, he was writing. He wrote a book about the civil rights movement in Chapel Hill that still stands as a pretty definitive story. But I love his books like The Road when he talks about the mountains, because he like, he's like Robert Morgan and Fred Chapel. He's a mountain man, and he is a gifted prose artist. So you met Rosemary Harris through him because That's they right. married, and we know Rosemary told mm -hmm. the story on our show. Uh, as we move along here, I have, I'm going to interrupt you here because I want to get you into poetry a little bit. I know that you've written many different uh, kinds, shall we say, of books and poetry, was something that caught my eye because, well, I, I love poetry, and as I say, I'm a street poet. And you have, these, I have two books here that I found down there to use bookstores, I said, and that's Solomon's Seal and Poems um, Balancing on Stones. All right, now I'm going to go to page 16 here, and I think this will be Sisters. And this is, do you remember writing the poem Sisters? I do, and of course, when you are. Uh... When you write something, it's the backstory you remember. And on Fourth Avenue, 
that was my world, just like the Women's College campus became my world, and just like my neighborhood at Wake Forest becomes my world, the public library. Fourth Avenue had lots of single sisters who lived together. And in every town I knew, there were two or three sisters who lived together. My history teacher lived with her sister, and this is what I wrote about them. Shall I read it? Yes, ma'am. Go for it. I can see Miss Edwina just as clear as day sitting on her porch and saying, Emily, come up here and talk. And I would go up and sit on the steps and talk to Miss Edwina. In southern towns, I know, unmarried sisters live together in the family home. They nurse their mother in a long sickness and they tend the graves. They look enough alike to be sisters, and, well, they the way I have the back, hair back in a bun and a blue dress with a white lace collar. Maria and Susanna, Edwina and Rose, Teresa and Pearl, sisters who played dolls together all their lives and keep them now in the china closet. This is the way we entertained when Mother was alive, they say. This is the way we went to church with Papa. This is the way the world was. They sleep side by side in the bed they were born in, and side by side they wake to the other's need. When one has had bad dreams, it's of the other's dying first. Each says her prayers and asks to be the first to go. Beautiful. And um, I always uh, like to mention that my wife helps me a lot on this show, and she was looking, reading over your poem. She said, that sounds just like my aunt's. So you just captured that, Emily Wilson. And that's from your book, uh, Now We're Shifting Over to Balancing on Stones. That was from, what's the title of the book I just read from, you just read from? That was Solomon Seal. Okay, well, mm -hmm. let's shift to psychiatric counseling. You know, if, if we're fortunate enough to have a friend who's a psychiatrist or a good friend, and, and, and I love that one, and if you'll just read that for us here on Poets and Writers today. Well, this was a, uh, my friend Isabel Zuber and Betty Layton and Archie Ammons and I started the Jack Pine Press. And we could find the good poets and we could have the readings, but we couldn't market the books. We didn't know how to, to sell books, so I think you were holding a rare copy. And, of course, if I was going to start a press, the first person I was going to publish was myself. Absolutely. And so that's what I did. And this is how you pump yourself up on a bad day. Instead of going to the psychiatrist, you just uh, write a poem. Well, I'd like to pop a persimmon. I'd like to gulp a grape. I'd like to rat out the chipmunks chipping away at winter. If it'd make you happy, I'd skin a squirrel. I'd chop some kindling. I'd dangle upside down from the oak outside your window. Help's on the way. I can tell by the rings on the woolly bears. Be still. Keep your eyes open. Listen. Here comes hope, walking a rail fence. And laughter's rolling around in a hollow log. Energy is holed up, secure. Beautiful, beautiful, insightful poem, a, a, a beautiful, insightful poem by Emily Wilson, and she is married to Edwin Wilson. He's Mr. Wake Forest, and she is Miss Wake Forest, quite frankly. One name I'm going to mention, our excellent producer, Ivy Shepherd's watching the clock here today, so I want to get this in. Uh, we come out of the Emory and Henry campus, Bob Denham, very quickly. 
Well, Bob Denham at Emory and Henry College invited me to come up there and do a reading. And I was just intoxicated with the mountain air, with that small college. I love colleges. And North Carolina, Virginia has some great small colleges. I love Warren Wilson College. I'll get in a plug for it. And Rachel uh, and Bob invited me to stay with them. And we had the best time at Emory and Henry. It was just idyllic. I could have stayed there forever. And he began to publish some broadsides for me. And after I finished writing this book about black women, I had some leftover materials, and I put them in a small book. And he, he printed it, hand-printed it, and bound it, and we called it Arise Up and Call Her Blessed And from the Scripture. And if you have a copy, you better hang on to that because okay. those were great women, and I just, I just absolutely wrote down what they, what they told me. And then he, I read another, I wrote another poem called This Gray Day, and they loved that poem. And they would get up in the morning, and Rachel would say, This Gray Day Likes Change. Beautiful, beautiful. Emily Wilson talking about uh, her life, her works, and uh, mentioning and talking a little bit about Bob Denham on our campus at Emory and Henry College. Emily Wilson, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, I hope you'll come again. Well, we'll have to do this again and do a part two. And this is Henry McCarthy saying, do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to steal away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks for listening.